0: Welcome to Why Everybody Hates You, an audio support group for reputation professionals. If you have any responsibility for how people talk, think and feel about your organisation, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, reputation coach, Daisy powell Chandler. I've been thinking for a few years now that we should get someone from the insurance sector onto the podcast. It may not sound like the most glamorous of topics, but it is deeply interlinked with reputation. How much does the reputation of your organisation impact your insurance premiums, or even your ability to get insurance in the first place, which might completely close down your business venture? And how much do the actions of your insurance company impact your reputation in turn? Well, luckily, after years of asking around, a friend introduced me to Mark Gagan, who understands more about the insurance industry than anyone I've ever met. I started by asking Mark how he came to be the voice of insurance.
1: I was an insurance broker, that's an international insurance broker, very long time ago because I I wanted to speak Spanish in my career. Then I got married to a Spanish person and and I didn't need to have that in my career anymore and I became a journalist was what what I'd always wanted to be and ended up I did five years being a journalist away from insurance completely and then I ended up 17 years ago I became an insurance journalist and so I've done insurance and I've been writing about insurance for a long time and I was the editor of a, a, a trade publication called the insurance insider and now I the last couple of years I've branched out on my own and I've got a podcast called The Voice of Insurance. So I spend most of the time talking to CEOs of insurance and or big insurance, big insurers or big insurance brokers generally. And it tends to be the sort of insurance that crosses boundaries, it tends to be difficult insurance, uh, insurance of really big things, weird things, uh, or just slightly odd, you know, cyber insurance, or the sort of insurance that covers an earthquake or a hurricane or something, or a skyscraper or, or an air. An airliner crashing into the side of a mountain and killing 500 people, that like, that kind of thing.
0: All the exciting insurance from Sound yeah, generally,
1: bit. yeah. It was it, when I was a kid, it, when, it, when I was, you know, just a young graduate. You know, you'd go to all those parties around at people's houses, and this was in London, and and they'd ask you, you know, it was a real such a turn off. Uh, uh, people would say, "Oh, do you work in insurance," and it's sort of it, when well, they'd say, "Oh, Mark, what do you do?" Uh, I work in insurance, and they perhaps some people would just literally walk off. And it was so, it was so no, I'm doing the more Gosh. interesting insurance. This is like things that explode, space rockets, and and it's like you know, but they're already gone. It was too late.
0: Too late. Well, tell me then, why does everybody hate insurers?
1: Well, because I well, there are lots of reasons. One, it it's not a desirable purchase. You don't get up in the morning and say, I want to buy a new insurance handbag, you know, whatever, you know, but, but people, de- it's not desirable, is it? And also, sadly, a lot of it's compulsory. And who likes doing things that are compulsory? Mm. You know, I can't do it without the insurance. I can't drive. I've got a lovely car outside on my drive. Oh, no, but I haven't got the insurance. So I have to know I'm going to get this blooming insurance and it's going to cost me £500 or £1,000 or whatever it is. And, you know, and it's, it's you know, some of it's quite expensive. It's time consuming. Uh, And you have to give them all your personal details. You have to sort of swear on on the Bible that everything you say is true and you never know. And and also because it's an intangible product. Um, You know, when you buy a handbag, you've got a handbag and say, I like that handbag. And it's because it's red and it's shiny and whatever. It goes with my dress. But if you buy insurance, you don't really know what it is until you have a claim. And you may never have a claim. You know, I haven't had a car insurance claim for a really long time. You know, touch wood. But I'll only find out whether that, that insurance was any good if I actually use it, and that's by crashing my car into a tree or whatever it is. You so know? you're and already you find
0: in out, a stressful situation. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and and so yes, so then, and if it doesn't perform, and of course, and it's that sort of asymmetrical thing as well. If if it performs, then that's what it's supposed to do. You know, it it does what it says on the tin, and it's sort of unremarkable. And then of course, if it doesn't perform, then it becomes newsworthy and becomes. Uh, It's a bit like the sort of air traffic control syndrome, you know, when they upgrade their IT systems. And, of course, air traffic control works all around us all the time. None of these planes seem to crash into each other or fall out of the sky. Yet, you know, once every 10 years when they upgrade their IT system, of course, there's some terrible something happens. Someone forgets to plug in the right widget or whatever. And then there's a delay, you know, and then everyone's delayed on their holidays and there's queues around Heathrow and everything else. And suddenly it becomes newsworthy. And sadly, it's only newsworthy when these things are only newsworthy when they don't work. Or like with, you know, uh, us journalists are all kind of culpable in this. You have a company, a big company, you know, employs 100,000 people. It hires probably one person every day or two or three a day for years. And then, of course, it finally has to rationalise some production facility somewhere and it fires 5,000 people on one day, and that's news. And, of course, hiring one person every day for five years is not news, but, mm-hmm. you know, firing 5,000 people all in one go is big news, and it's, but it's sadly, it's, so it skews the news sometimes towards the negative, mm. and the same insurance suffers from that same problem.
0: Well, there, there does seem, I, I can't decide whether I think it's a handy trick or totally reputationally disastrous. It does seem that whenever the insurance industry gets itself into a real pickle, it manages to offload a load of its responsibilities onto the government. I suppose what is that? Is that a great trick or or is it a disaster? No, I don't know. I think it's just that some things
1: some things are almost uninsurable um, because they're systemic risks. Um so those are just the risks, you know, if 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 a meteorite destroys the earth, then you really, you know, are you gonna care whether you're insuring paid up or not I mean it's going to be money won't really have any value anymore it'll just be sort of barter and you know you'll just need guns and, and tins of butter under the stairs or whatever you need to survive you know and, and fresh water if you can get access to it but so it won't really matter that much but, um, but a lot of things are very difficult to insure you need to have a lot of the way insurance works is obviously you're spreading around that you know you've got a 1 in 10,000 chance that your house will burn down or 1 in 100,000 chance and you know, your house is worth, I don't know, 400,000 pounds to rebuild. And that means it's great that you can charge someone something reasonably affordable uh, to, you know, to spread that risk. If you can assure 100,000 houses all at, you know, 400 pounds each or 300 pounds each, that's, that's reasonable, that covers all your costs. And you can rebuild the one in 100,000 houses that, 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 that burns down. But it's only when you have a massive, you know, if the whole country's on fire at the same time, then you suddenly realize that we're, That's not what insurance is really good at. And it obviously insurance companies will become insolvent at that point, and they won't be able to function by spreading the losses of the few with the premiums of the many. And at that point, yes, that is what governments are for. Um, So we've had similar things with things like terrorism, where suddenly the problem becomes so systemic. You know, that was certainly happened in the UK in the mid-90s when the the sort of height of the IRA bombing campaign in London, that happened, and that does happen. Um, The state... The state and the insurance industry are in a sort of merry dance with each other. Yes, yes, because the ultimate insurer of last resort is always the state. Things always go back onto Mm. the state in the end. If there's no insurance, the state will have to pick up things. And obviously, it's up to the state to encourage insurance and to make the playing fields, to make it sort of simple and efficient for insurance to work. Um, Because if there isn't insurance, because there is a huge value to the economy of insurance functioning really well, you know. It's one of the is it you know sad thing when you, you compare wealthy countries which have high insurance take up with poor countries after a natural disaster you know you compare New Zealand to Haiti obviously you know they, they really don't compare that well uh, mm. anyway on day to day living standards but Haiti still hasn't recovered from any of its earthquakes because it only had about two percent insurance penetration and that's just not enough uh, whereas you know New Zealand like us they you know ninety percent of people have insurance and that means that within two quarters their GDP was they had a recession actually mm. because of because of what happened and then within two, G- two quarters their GDP was humming along because of all this construction activity uh, and in fact their balance of payments had a deficit because it was all the money coming in from foreign insurers and reinsurers and there was actually a really good balance of payments deficit because the, it was the rest of the world was chipping in with mm. with uh, what we call reinsurance which is uh, for these sort of big events uh, for the lo- all the local in um, uh, New Zealand insurance companies bought reinsurance for this big earthquake and then the, it all paid out and billions of dollars were being um, sort of you know spent on rebuilding the economy and within a year you just see the thing as a, a, little, a little a little v-shaped blip, blip uh, because so, and then yeah so that's part of the financial resilience event of an, of an economy you know mm-hmm. so it is an essential role but when it doesn't work it's where that's where yeah, the state is always going to have to be there.
0: So that must mean that that relationship the reputation that insurance companies have with the government and vice versa must be incredibly important to CEOs and the rest of the leadership of the insurance industry is that something that they spend a lot of time working on or or is it kind of taken for granted on both sides well actually
1: it's it's funny that the insurance industry has always always felt it was the poor relation to banking and actually then the global financial crisis happened you know, more than 12 years ago now, 13, 14, 15 years ago. And the insurers started to, they came slightly higher up the pecking order because they're still producing profits and therefore contributing uh, to corporation tax revenues. And so the Treasury suddenly woke up and said, well, hang on a minute, these banks, the banks have made so many losses that they're they're going to have tax credits for the next goodness knows how long, and they're never going to be paying tax for another decade. And look at who are these these nice insurers? They, They seem to be quite solid and dependable. And they haven't, of course, you can't have a run on an insurance company in the same way. You can on, this is on the non-life side of insurance that I I look at. That's not sort of pensions and life insurance, but anything that's insuring physical things or the liabilities of of corporations and that kind of thing. You can't really have a run on a company because you can't, you pay your 300 quid premium. And if you cancel it, well, you haven't got any insurance. You you can't withdraw that credit in the way that if you deposit money at a bank, you're scared about the bank. You can pull your, you can queue outside Northern Rock on the high street. Pull out your money, and then you cause a problem for the bank. Uh, You don't, you can't have a run on an insurance company in the same way. So they're quite solid financial institutions. Obviously, they take a lot more risk. Uh, They take a risk at the front end and not on the asset side of their balance sheet. So they they invest in very boring, very liquid, mostly you know government bonds, sovereign debt, um, because they need to be able to sell that. If there's a hurricane tomorrow, they need to be able to sell all that really quickly into a liquid market and um, and pay that claim in cash quite quickly so they have to be quite liquid so that, that means they tend not to get into too much financial difficulty mm. through doing silly things on trading and the sort of things that might get a bank into trouble so uh, being boring
0: as a as a reputation asset there
1: because they're doing dangerous things on the other side because insuring an airliner or insuring an oil rig against exploding is kind of quite hairy enough if you see what I mean so
0: mm, they yeah, take them risk. the other way
1: yeah. Whereas the banker hates all that kind of stuff, and, and wants a sure thing, and that's where the insurance comes in. But insurance really fits in perfectly well into the economy, and it's a massive multiplier effect. On you know, if the bank won't lend to you unless you get the insurance on the house, but then once you've got the insurance, that means the bank bank will lend to you at a lower rate or will lend you more. And that happens with so many things. That happens with things like green projects or, and a lot of the good things happening in the economy are help are being sort of leveraged by. Uh, the effect that insurance the positive effect that insurance having insurance in the equation can bring you know like i would say for example be people building solar panel uh, farms of solar panels for example the bank will lend a certain amount of money but if you can get insurance against those solar panels um, uh, so to ensure their efficacy over the 15 year period that this debt is being uh, arranged for the, with the bank to help finance the whole project then the bank will lend twice as much, or maybe mm. lend at a much lower interest rate, and that means you can build twice as many solar farms with the same amount of capital. So it's about leveraging things, and and you know nothing really happens without insurance. You know it's mm. it's only well, when insurance on, goes wrong. On the wrong. flip
0: side, if you can't get insurance for your coal mine, say, or your oil oil well, uh, presumably that that puts a big damper on that project.
1: Uh, absolutely, absolutely, because it it. You know, you have to, particularly if those are really valuable projects, that's often where some of those, some of the, where now we're getting, um, you know, the, the environmentalists have really got insurers in their sights, we started starting to pressurise insurers to say, right, no coal whatsoever, no this or that, a high carbon economy, and some of those risks are now being retained by the governments of those local countries, because they're still strategically important to those economies. But then, actually, are those governments good at insuring things? Because they, they need to spread that risk. Really, if you've got a, some of these values are very, very high. So if you need five billion of insurance, that's not very good for a small, for a developing economy to have to shoulder that. Mm. Um, it'd be better if they were able to spread it around. It's much more efficient. Because if what if it did blow up, they probably couldn't afford to pay and have to mm. increase taxes in order to pay for it. So it's one of those things insurance is just getting its head around ESG at the moment, and it's it's doing it at an institutional level, it's doing it at a regulatory level. Of course, it's a regulated industry so the regulators are starting to put um put you know um frameworks around things that's fitting in with everything that's happening on the global sustainability front as well so it's but it's it is in a difficult position um but it's it is key to making the transition happen actually because Mm -hmm. probably need you know certainly the way that, that the industry is looking at it is to to say that we've got these high carbon clients we need to one, we need to believe that they're definitely on a transition to to net zero by X amount of time, and we need to see progress on that. At the moment, yes, they're going to start scoring them on ESG. Ones with higher higher scores, or you know, if high is bad, they're going to have to pay higher premiums. But as they tr- as they green their businesses over that time, uh, that time period, they should get. The, they will be getting the benefits. So insurance, mm-hmm. of course, along with other finance, is forming is that kind of you know good cop, bad cop routine, that insurance is pay, playing the bad cop of disincentivizing new investment in high carbon. Uh, because, yes, if you go, if you say, I want to insure a new open-cast open coal mine, and you go to an underwriter in Lloyds of London, they'll just pull all their hair out and say, I'm sorry, have you not read the papers? You know, we don't do this anymore. Or if we do this, we've got some very, very specific conditions under which we can do it. And And what I really want to see is the plan where you actually... Where you shut down this open gas coal mine? Don't come to me telling me that you're going to what you're actually building a new one. No, I mean that's too late. That was that's last century. You know that now that so far more you know uh, incentive to to you mm. know do do a wind farm, do a solar farm, do something, anything but high carbon.
0: Yeah, and uh, I I've, I can say it's been it's been great to see the insurance industry sharing some of that data. Uh, and allowing us to really see that um, better ESG scores are also correlating with um, fewer losses management. for the insurance industry oh, as yeah. well. If so, showing good, that if
1: you're, you know, if you're a business, and we talk about a risk manager, that, so if you're a business that's big enough, that buys enough insurance to have someone that effectively needs to have someone at sort of director level who is in charge of buying all the insurance because they spend millions on insurance, then those are called risk managers. And obviously look after all the other are sort of people who make you watch a video before you lift a heavy box. You know, there's slightly laughable sort of videos that you watch when you're doing an induction at a new employer, that kind of thing. That's what the risk manager looks after. They also spend a lot of money on insurance. And yeah, these people, you know, they've they've, they've got a hell of a job. And uh, yeah, but it's all about that leverage effect of insurance again. So it's it's about it. Again, if you want to if you want to do something high carbon, the fine if you want to borrow money to do it, the bank is going to charge you more. And the insurance is going to cost you a lot more and it's going to be much, much harder to do as time goes on. So that's that can only be a good thing. And it helps move things quicker. You know, the disincentive Mm -hmm. is really there. And insurance is part of that disincentive, that big financial disincentive that we're seeing now. So it's a good thing.
0: What's interesting to me about that is not only that seems like a really positive step, but it also strikes me that insurers are effectively having to care about the reputation of the companies that they're insuring is that yeah. is that a correct oh, no, interpretation Of course they of do. absolutely yes again
1: because if you, <clears throat> you know, you've got a good risk you're a risk well-managed company you know one will one will sweep the floors and one won't and and then one will have lots of dust that'll get into something and then that'll overheat and it'll cause a fire and one will make sure you have permits for doing any kind of you know welding work and And others won't. And if they don't, some of them have sprinklers, some of that costs money to invest in having sprinklers, you know, so good risks get better premiums. um, And, you know, that that risk, good risk management is is rewarded. So, um, but yes, the reputation, absolutely, because a big part, uh, one of the major insurance products is directors and officers insurance. I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know all about because if you're a director of a company, you need this. And if you're a director of a public company, even more. And if you're a director of a financial institution, then you really start to worry about these things. And the thing about directors of officers' insurance for a public company is effectively, you're, you're almost insuring against the, a, a sudden share price drop because mm. that in, in a US-quoted company, that will trigger a shareholder class action. If you, if you get the stock falling more than about 10 or 15 points in a day... You know, and that's on a big market cap business. There are plenty of lawyers out there that monitor this, and will file a suit within, you know, a few days. And it'll be the directors' fault, somehow, uh, or certainly would be the allegation that the directors have obviously done something stupid, or wrong, or illegal, or whatever, or something misguided, or something that's breaching their fiduciary duties. And that is what, the, and the, those insurers of that DNO directors and officers uh, policy will be picking up that tab. Um, if there's a you know we're talking about huge settlements and and at the very least enormous legal bills and so they are very much interested in the reputation uh, of of a company because that company's reputation might take a beating and that if that translates if that's a public company that translates into a sudden share price drop that is almost certainly a claim Mm -hmm. Um, and also and the other thing on the um on the green question is of course that Insurers are in the front line of climate change, of of, of the negative effects of climate change. You know that it causes more storms, or more floods, or more droughts, and all these things are things that cause insurance losses because you can insure buildings and crops and and whatever else. And so, insurers are also in on the actual, you know, the front end of this to say, yeah, of course, I want to stop insuring coal mines because actually these coal mines burning that coal, creating all that CO two, are actually causing higher losses. In other parts of my portfolio, they're causing worse floods, mm. and that's bad. I'm still I'm paying for those as well. So, again, so it's it's an, almost their own risk management as well. But yes, reputation is so important. And again, but it works both ways. Of course, the the client is beholden to the rep, to to the efficacy of that insurance company. When when you know when the chips are down, when they really need them, they need that insurance company to perform because that insurance company will help. At, at, at that point, that insurance company is is there is looking after their reputation you know if i'm in my third floor flat and my washing machine leaks and it drips on my neighbor onto her and it's she's got a grand piano down below it you know i i phone my insurance company and, and if they're really good they'll get someone you know within a couple of hours and they'll turn off the mains and they'll fix whatever it is and my washing machine leaking they'll put a new hose on it and that that water hopefully will never get through the. they'll repaint my neighbor's ceiling let it dry out for a bit. And but none of that water will, you know, cause any damage. And that will be oh, that's good for the insurance company because that's uh, because that's going to cost much less than what could happen. And it's very good for my reputation with my neighbor, because she's going to say, Oh, well done, Mark. You know, you're a nice, you're a good neighbor, aren't you? I'm sorry, you know, he he fixed, you know, he fixed this problem really quickly. Was it, what if I had a really bad insurance company that was a bit slow, didn't have a very good claims department, was all a bit dopey. And the water was leaking and leaking. And uh, the next morning, my neighbour says, look, it's getting worse. There's a bulge in the ceiling. You know, I'm really worried. What should I do? And I'm on the phone to, them, to the insurance company all the time and they don't send anyone. And finally, there's a massive crash in the middle of the night. And then the grand piano is soaked in water. And it, you know, it suddenly becomes a, you're talking about a £200 claim could become a £20,000 claim really quickly. And then my neighbor's never going to talk to me ever again. That's my reputation. It's been trashed by my insurance company. And mm-hmm. there are so many, you know, that's where that's where the insurance company you know is um holding your reputation at that point it's carrying your reputation at a time of crisis
0: absolutely um uh, so they are there are tools as well as um having a stake in your reputation themselves so i suppose that the the final question then really that i feel brings this all together is can you insure your reputation
1: you can uh, but it's that's all very much in its infancy certainly um I'm sure at some point in the future it's going to work because the insurance industry has got quite a big problem in that say I don't know you went to the S&P 500 50 years ago and it would have all the assets 95% of those assets or 90% of those assets would be actual tangible assets of sort of bricks and mortar and bits of steel um, would be that they're on those balance sheets a bit of goodwill but most of it would be actually tangible assets. And these days, that's completely flipped. You know, you look at Apple, it's all intellectual property. It's all uh, intangible assets. And, and, and uh, by very, you know, one tech company taking over another tech company, with huge amounts of goodwill, and digital goodwill and goodness knows what else, knocking around. And so the insurance industry's got, to, is in a long-term battle to maintain that relevance as the relative value of physical things and even the liabilities of things are... Uh, it goes down the insurance industry has got to ensure a lot of these more intangible things and got to develop ways of ensuring those intangible things um over over a long period of time because otherwise it's going to cease to to exist or somebody will eventually work out a way of doing it so it 's one of the imperative things that insurance industry's got to do it's one of its sort of to do list must do this in the next thirty years work out how to solve this problem but at the moment it's very much in its infancy, and there are products out there, but they're certainly not products for example um Cyber insurance is really starting to kick in, and that's protecting a lot of people's reputations. And that might include the service of of sort of emergency PR and communications. And sort of uh, uh, if there's a big breach, and the sort of communicating that breach to all your customers, to millions of customers, and paying for that cost and to help actually shoulder the burden of of organizing all those call centers and like communication that has to go on uh, with customers, with large numbers of customers. Again, the insurance industry is involved in that. But um, but cyber really only has really only kicked off in the last 10 years. It was a lovely idea uh, 25 years ago, but it never appeared as a line on anyone's profit and loss account. And whereas before they said, yeah, I did this much in property, this much in marine, this much in aviation, mm-hmm. this much in whatever uh, accident and liability insurance, but it never appeared as a line. And now cyber, for example, is now appearing as a line. There is not a line anywhere on anyone's, uh, in any insurance company's P&L, that says reputation insurance it'll be in a tiny little bucket called miscellaneous at the moment but there's a lot of work going on a lot of really obviously with technology it's you know it technology sort of created that intangible problem for the insurance industry but of course it will help solve that problem as well so it there are products that are in their infancy things maybe based around Indices that are created out of your social media profile about what people say about you, all sorts of things. But they tend to be, yes, based around some sort of getting a third party that you can trust to create some sort of index. And then you to be insured when the index goes above a certain number up into another amount of number. And it'll give you some money to help, uh, to help solve the problem. But if not, obviously your DNO insurance does kick in, of course, so if it's bad enough for your shareholders to sue you, then uh, insurers are already on the hook anyway.
0: Yes, but presumably if you're then proven to have broken the law, that would invalidate your insurance policy.
1: Well, it certainly wouldn't, uh, it shouldn't invalidate your uh, defence costs. They should defend you right until the final adjudication, until you're, you're led off and handcuffed and bound over. Um, yes, good to know. <laughs> should, good insurance, yes. Make sure that it covers that because it should, it should, should cover your criminal defence. Obviously, they can't get you out of jail but because that's the law, they're not above the law insurers. Uh, so, but but they can certainly pay for those very expensive legal bills um, while you're on your way to jail and appealing and all sorts of things.
0: Well, there we go. Tip for all our listeners, make sure you've got d insurance.
1: Well, I think you, yes, I really hope they, uh, uh, anybody who's a director of a company, make sure you've got that because otherwise that's all of your assets online instead of, instead of the insurer.
0: Yeah, worrying. Okay. Um, Well, thank you so much, Mark. This has been um, fascinating and definitely more air crash discussions than we normally have.
1: (laughs) Great. Well, thanks very much for having me.
0: That's everything from us. A big thank you to my guest, Mark Gagan, the voice of insurance, for telling us why insurance is more interesting than we think it is, and how important it is to reputation. I'd love to hear from you which lessons particularly stood out. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll tell your colleagues and perhaps write us a review on your usual podcasting app. It really does help new listeners to find the show. Thank you, as always, for listening to Why Everybody Hates You. And remember... You are not alone.